is from Hebrews chapter 2. As we think of Jesus, our suffering victor. We have two parts here. I, because we don't have a Good Friday service, um, I wanted to find something that would incorporate the suffering of Christ as well as his resurrection. And this passage does that. Speaking of Good Friday, one of our English as a second language students says, I am curious as to why you Americans call that Good Friday. In my country, it's called Sad Friday. I actually like that better. It really depends on which perspective you're looking at it from. It was very sad that Jesus had to die, but from the perspective of we who have benefited from his death, it is a Good Friday. Can I hear an amen to that? (laughs) So what we're going to do in this passage, because it focuses on the suffering of Christ as well as his victory, I wanted to teach on the suffering first and then let us worship the Lord with the communion table as in a memory, as in remembrance of that suffering and then resume the message. So when I sit down and Mike stands up, don't get excited. <laughs> We're not done. (laughs) We will observe our normal time frame. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10. For it was fitting for him... Oh, by the way, would you rise in respect to the word of God, if you're able? Just stand to your feet if you're able. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Father, I've asked you already throughout the week to give us enlightenment from your word, and I ask you publicly in the presence of my brothers and sisters to do that. Would you cause our hearts to be good ground for the seed of your word? Would you cause our spirits to exult in what you've accomplished in our behalf? And Lord, we love you. Thank you for being the risen Lord. Thank you for being the exalted Lord. And thank you for being in this room right now with us. In your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Jesus suffered, the text tells us, because it was right. 
we don't look at his suffering as an unfortunate happenstance. The, be- the beginning of this sentence in verse 10 is, it was fitting for him. Some of our translations say, appropriate. For whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, I find that beginning statement a bit curious. Suffering, from my perspective, always seems intrusive and unwelcome. Are you with me on that? It doesn't seem fitting. It doesn't seem appropriate, especially for Jesus. But what, now, now, why does the inspired author of Scripture begin there? He begins with God. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. This is, he's speaking of God as the center of all things. The one who created, the one who is the author of creation is also its sustainer. Everything that exists, exists because of his will and for his purposes and for his glory. That's the place the author wants to begin. Because as creator... God, who spoke all things into existence, also saw a people who needed redeeming and determined that he would do something about that. And so we see the realization of God's divine purposes here in this statement. And it is strongly implied in the phrase, in verse 10, to make the captain of their salvation, that's speaking of Jesus, perfect through suffering. Now, if you're astute... And you're looking at that sentence, you're thinking, what I thought. Well, how can a perfect person be made perfect? (laughs) Isn't Jesus already perfect? Well, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. Y'all are tough. (laughs) The key to this is in that word perfect, as you see it in your... uh, There it is. Perfect. Most of our English translations, if not all of them, translate the word teleos as perfect. It's not wrong to do so. But you need to understand that it has more than that meaning. It is not speaking of being perfect in his character. He's already there. But it is speaking of his purpose being realized through suffering, and that is also what teleos means, because the execution of his purpose in bringing salvation would be brought perfectly into being through suffering in behalf of sinners. And Jesus knew before he ever left the glories of heaven that he would suffer a crucifixion at the hands of Rome. Why did he do that? Because in the halls of God's judgment seat, Sin's offense against our holy God required capital punishment. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the scriptures say. And so Jesus shed his blood. Our perfect Savior brought about our complete redemption by offering himself. And the text says it was fitting for him to do so. It was appropriate for Jesus, the God-man, to give his life for you and for me. Peter says it like this, he bore our sins on the tree. Now to the onlooker at Calvary, 
fitting and appropriate might be the last adjectives that might come to their mind. Heinous, reprehensible, terrible, these things would come to mind because what they observed was the Son of God being mocked by Roman soldiers and from a human and, and, and standing in front of human authority figures who did not recognize that the sovereign Lord of the universe was standing in front of him, in front of them, and they mocked him. They weaved a crown of thorns, large Middle Eastern thorns, and thrust it down upon his head. And then he endured scourging. A scourge was a whip with multiple uh, straps with pieces of glass or bone or lead tied to the ends. And so as the victim was whipped and the scourge would hit his back, the pulling back of it would rip the flesh from the back of the victim. And he would leave him in a mangled, open, raw, bloody mess. It was fitting him to suffer he not only endured that but he endured a crucifixion crucifixion is one of the most is probably the most painful way that humanity has ever devised to execute criminals after spending the night awake and going through six illegal trials Jesus is emotionally and physically spent. And in the morning, he is forced to carry his own cross. But remember, his back is mangled. In fact, it is so mangled that when Peter says, by his stripes, in our English version, stripes is plural, in the Greek language, it is singular. And the way Peter remembers this is that he was such a mangled mess that it looked like one horrible wound. And in that condition, he is forced to carry his own cross, the horizontal piece at least, perhaps the whole thing, we are not sure. But at the very least, a large, heavy piece of timber on a back like that could not be endured by anyone. And so exhausted and in agony, Jesus fell under the weight of the cross, and an onlooker, a stander, a passer, a standerby, Simon of Serene was compelled to carry that cross in his place. They arrived at Golgotha, which the scripture teaches us means the place of a skull. The hill kind of looked like a skull. And there Jesus was thrown down again against that wood. The raw flesh of his back rubbing against that rough timber. And he was nailed. The Romans knew that to fasten a victim to the cross and they had strategic pressure points in the wrists and ankles that would produce the most neurological pain possible. And so as he is nailed, involuntary neurological pain begins to, to writhe through his body as his blood is being poured out for us. And then the cross is raised by a team of soldiers. And, and as, as he begins to rise and gravity begins to pull on him, his flesh 
tears even more and his pain soars. And as the cross finds the hole several feet deep in order to support its height and weight, there is a sudden drop. And again, his flesh tears and blood flows. On the cross, Jesus experienced something he had never experienced from eternity past. Remember, he didn't begin to exist when he was born. He came into our world at that point, but he existed from eternity past. And there's something on the cross that he experienced that he had never experienced before, and that is separation from the Father. You may remember he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? He existed in eternity past in perfect, undisturbed unity and holy existence with the Father and with the Spirit. And now, this second person of the Godhead is bearing the sin of all of humanity. And on the cross, God, Scripture says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf. It wasn't just your mind sin and your sin. The sin of the whole world. Jesus' words there have been preserved for us, and even though we don't understand Aramaic, you understand the emotion of these words as you hear them. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From there, Jesus hung between heaven and earth, perfect holiness, becoming utter, despised, reprehensible offense of sin in God's sight. He bore our sins. He was our substitute, bearing the penalty that was rightfully ours. And finally, he died. Think about that a second. The author and sustainer of life died. The crucifixion victim did not normally die from bleeding to death. In fact, while there was a lot of blood, it was not blood loss that took their lives. It was suffocation. The reason being is because the cross was a very slow, agonizing way to die. And once it was raised up, the victim is extended and his feet are are crossed like this and there's a nail between his in his ankles and in his hands just at the place to produce the most pain and to cause writhing throughout not only the, the, the points where the nails are, but in, in the extremities and throughout the body. And so as the victim is raised and, and he agonizes in pain, and there are sharp, violent neurological surges throughout his body repeatedly. And, and the weight of gravity causes him to slump down. But in that position, he cannot breathe. And so in order to breathe, the victim would push up against the nails in his feet in order to gain air. But that creates such an excruciating pain that he falls again. And this repeats itself over and over and over again until such time as there is no longer any strength left in the victim to push up. No longer any willingness to endure that pain. In his 
slumped over position, it is impossible to gain air. And it is in that position that death would come through suffocation. Often it took days for that to happen. And as horrible as a method of execution as this was, as terrible as it sounds to our ears, here's the reality. What tragically unfolded humanly is God's perfect plan. Because even though humanity had profoundly offended God and His holiness, it was God who took the initiative to rescue us so that we, you and I, would not suffer for our own sins eternally. He is our substitute. God sent forth His Son to endure the punishment that was rightfully ours. Aren't you glad about that? The Scripture says, Greater love has no one than that He laid down His life for His friends. And this communion table, I'm going to invite our men to come forward now. This communion table, is a remembrance by his friends. The ones who were the object of his love for which he poured himself out. We remember his sacrifice. have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus reigns over humanity, but he does not just reign over humanity. He is our Redeemer rescuing us, but he is not just our Redeemer. He's one of us. He's one of us. He, he, he doesn't view humanity as a ragtag group of people who... who by the way, that does describe us, doesn't it? <laughs> who, who requires intervention. We do. But he intervened.
because he sees us as his own brothers and sisters. Do you think of Jesus like that? It's hard for me to do that, but it's, it's what the Scripture teaches us here. Even in our sinfulness, which was constantly and perpetually offensive to him in his holiness, he still came to rescue us. It was right. It was appropriate to become a human being in order to bring us into a relationship with the Father that we could never secure on our own. Jesus suffered because of who we are. And he also suffered because of who he is. He suffered as a, not a victim, a victor. This is why in verse 14 it says of him, inasmuch then, uh, in the middle of the verse, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus, uh, a little earlier in verse 10, is referred to as the captain of our salvation. Do you find that a strange description? Well, I have to bring to your attention a term in the original language. It will help us here in our understanding. The captain of our salvation was the term archagos in the Greek language. And an archagos was actually wrapped up in one of the songs that we sang earlier. Soar we now where Christ has led following our exalted head. That's Archagos. Archagos is someone who led the way in order that others may follow. It, it was, a, it was a, 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 a title given to a victorious person. We'll unpack that even more as we go here. But in his resurrection, Jesus led the way that we would follow and have eternal life. How did he do this? By destroying the power of the enemy. 14, that through, listen, watch what it says, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And Archagos was a title that was awarded to a victor who took his enemy and wrested his enemy's weapon out of his hand and slew him with his own, in, with his own weapon. That's what Jesus did. It wasn't a happenstance. It wasn't an unfortunate day for Jesus. It was God's plan that he would take Satan's terror tactic and his own weapon and in death destroy that enemy. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now the resurrection is implied here. Even though it's not particularly stated, it's implied because without the resurrection, Satan wins when Jesus dies. But with the resurrection, it's Jesus who's the victor. Romans 1 verse 4 says he is declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And Peter, oh listen, if somebody's asleep next to you, punch them. Because they've got to hear this. Peter unpacks this even more when he says this. Let me put it on the screen for you. For Christ, this is chapter 3 of 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins. That ju the just for the unjust. You get that? The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits who are in prison. What in the world is that talking about? Well, let me tell you something. That word preach there is not evangelism, where we would tell somebody about Christ and they can repent. Why? Because the term for spirits here is demons. These are the evil spirits that God has shut up, they are in 
hell. And remember the Apostles' Creed where it says Jesus descended into hell? This is where that comes from. He actually descended while he's dead. Well, his body's in the grave, I should say, because he's not dead, is he? He's alive. Yeah, but he's still working. And so while his body's in the grave, Jesus himself descends into hell and he preaches to the spirits in prison. Why does he do that? Can they repent? No, they cannot. This is a term that doesn't mean evangelism. This means proclamation. And as Jesus burst into the dark corridors of the demonic hordes, he proclaims, you are defeated. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus who has conquered the enemy with his own weapon. And what else did he do? He released prisoners. 15 says, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Because of Christ's victory, we're no longer afraid of death. Oh, we don't look forward to it. If you do, there's something wrong with you. But we're not afraid of it in Christ. Because of Christ and his victory over it. And so when that intrusive last enemy approaches... And when you've lost someone dear to you, it is not, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Yeah, we are wounded by that enemy, but we look beyond death. We look to the victor who has won that victory and to the life that this archegos has ushered in for us because he rose, we also will rise. Can I get a witness? <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm about to blow a gasket here. <laughs> Christ, in Christ, we face death with confidence. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in what he's done. His victory is our victory. And that is why this intrusive enemy, unwelcome as it is, can be met with a confidence that says, I am in Jesus and this is not the end. Right, Susie? When you said goodbye to your mom this week, it wasn't the end. It's only until we meet again. We're released from the fear of death. We live with a hope that on this side of eternity, is that best temporary? You know, the world lives like it's going to last forever and they avoid talking about death like it's never going to happen if you just avoid it. <laughs> no, we recognize reality. But we know that we've been made new like him and in him we will not see eternal death. We will, we will pass through this dark corridor, but on the other side is life victory and Jesus can I hear an amen to that and he has fulfilled the promise it says in verse 16 for indeed he does not give aid to angels but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham I just want to draw your attention to something here what, what God has given us in this little passage here this little phrase is that Jesus fulfilling God's will at Calvary was also fulfilling a promise God made to Abraham about 2,000 years earlier that goes like this through you, all the world shall be blessed. And Galatians says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And fourth, he made the payment. 17 says this, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Why? That 
he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Did you know you still need a high priest? You say, well, I thought, I thought I was delivered from the law. Well, you are. But you still have to have a mediator to come before God. And Jesus is the high priest who ever lives to make intercession for the people of God. He is that high priest. Now, what is, notice what it also says. In things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's the payment we're talking about. Propitiation is a word we don't use at all. But it simply means a sacrifice that ends God's Every one of us was deserving of God's wrath in its fullest, and every one of us is deserving of hell fire for all eternity. But Jesus became our propitiation, the sacrifice that ended God's wrath against us. He is our faithful representative, and he is our satisfying propitiation. And lastly, his presence is with us for the here and now. Verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. I don't know about you, but I find life tempting. We could unpack that forever and bore each other with all the details. <laughs> but here's the point. Jesus has suffered, that's past tense, and he is able, that's present tense, that's, that's right there in the text, he is able to aid those who are tempted. His suffering has been accomplished from the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. What was finished? All sin is paid for, for all humanity, for all time. It is done. It is in the past with ongoing effects. And now, our risen and exalted Savior, our great high priest, our mediator, our intercessor, he is with us daily. It's a continuation of the idea from the birth. Emmanuel, God with us. We don't fear death. We don't cower at the notion of persecution or being ostracized if we identify with Christ. Our exalted Lord Jesus Christ has suffered in the past. He has successfully navigated all of that for us. He is with us. He is a faithful high priest. And he has, as his redeemed ones, when we are tempted in any way to either indulge our flesh or to avoid situations that would bring us discomfort and persecution or uh, anything like that, we do not fear, for the Son of God is our archegos. He is the one who is led so that we will follow in his steps. He is our victor who has ended God's wrath. He is our victor who has won eternity in our behalf. And it is he who is with us right now and forever. Amen? Pray with me. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Your victorious life is our victorious life. Only in you is our hope for this life and for eternity. Dear ones, if you're in this room right now, let me just address you if you are not sure that if today was the day you drew your last earthly breath, you would be in eternity with God. If that is an uncertain thing with you, listen carefully. Jesus' suffering was according to the will of God in order that you could trust that he has suffered in your behalf. Therefore, you do not need to suffer. You do not need to bear your sins in eternity in the flames of hell. 
you by trusting in his all-sufficient sacrifice, by believing that he can forgive you, you can have eternal life today and forever. Is there anybody who would do that? I'm not looking. I want everybody else to be not looking. I want you to do business with God right now. Would you cry out to him to save you from your own condemnation? Heaven is not automatic. It is by virtue of the righteousness of Jesus having satisfied God's wrath. Will you trust that? Will you trust that for yourself this morning? Just cry out to him in your heart and he will save you. The hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. That's a true statement. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for paying for our sins, for satisfying God's wrath, for being our victor, for leading the way into heaven, that your victory and resurrection is our victory and resurrection. We give you praise this morning, and we sing to you the praises we are about to sing out of hearts that are full of joy.